get into talking to you about your like how you felt the the event went this week. I thought that was so cool that we attended that event. Yeah, so we went to a panel hosted by Create and Cultivate with like uh, Acast um, as a sponsor, maybe. Yeah, I don't know if they did it together, sponsor. but yeah, that was really great. We met a couple of different podcast hosts who've been doing it for a few years to up to 15. I think that was the first guest. So it was really cool to hear a lot of different perspectives of how they're building their communities, how they started, what's the most important thing about starting a podcast. Um, and it was also really fun to just like hang out with you, Ashley, and meet new people. It was so cute. I loved it. Like the space was adorable and it was in this like weird part of town that you just didn't anticipate such a nice like venue so we walked in and it was so nice yeah it was on the edge of the arts district downtown so it's like right in between the really cool stuff and like the really industrial stuff yeah so it was so unexpected and it was awesome to see you in the week and not be like freaking out about recording and just hanging out and having some snacks yeah yeah listening to cool speakers yeah it It validated a lot for me it did yeah what would you say you learned at the event? Like what was the most important thing that you learned or what did you think was really valuable? Definitely that our sound quality is like dirt, trash. <laughs> <laughs> at least it was until this episode and the next following ones. Yeah. So I think we learned a lot about sound quality and how to get the that important to par. Yeah. Yeah. There was one of the girls, she's so she's a self-proclaimed audiophile. And I was like, I'm so embarrassed. But she had done presence. that because she, she was on the radio. Exactly. Yeah. So we learned a lot from her. And um, you were just saying before that it was really validating some of the things that we learned, like we're on the right track. You know, I think was it sex with Emily that that the first speaker? One? Yeah, the first speaker just sort of saying, like, keep pursuing, keep going. Like, if this is what you want to do, it, follow your passion, everything else will come. Um, that being said, she was still realistic. Like, no, you're not going to make money in the first year. No, you're going to struggle. It's going to be hard. It's an uphill battle. But like so many of the choices that she said she made, we're starting to do. And that's so cool. Yeah. I think for all of the speakers, the takeaway was like, keep going. As hard as it is, keep going because once you reach the other side, the the end of the goal, what you think is your end of your goal is like the beginning of something new. Yeah. And I think they all had such different experiences and um, some pretty different approaches too and how they conduct themselves in their podcast. But I think we found a lot of similarities of just it's not easy. And I also didn't feel like we're copying anybody. I felt very like we're doing something a little bit different. It might on the exterior kind of sound like any other podcast. But I think when you dig into our podcasts and like the things that we believe in, the messages we want to send. And I think also the fact that we're so curious. If there was something that wasn't aligned with other podcasts, podcasts and podcasters that we talk to, it's a lot of people who decide to make a podcast are extremely curious. So maybe that's like the one thing we do share with others. And that is okay. Because, you know, a lot of us are just curious. We we didn't make a podcast because we like to hear the sound of our own voice. I think a lot of us hate the sound of our own voice. But we did this because we had, you know, we, we were asking a lot of questions and we thought it would be valuable to share that and turn that into some kind of outlet rather than just talking. So I think a lot of the podcasters we spoke to all had something they were really curious about, really passionate about, 
And they just wanted the excuse to like formalize that, you know? Yeah. And I think something about like podcast hosts is we're all really curious and we all have questions, but we also acknowledge that other people have those exact same questions. Um, so finding the answer is really rewarding. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what's been making this so fun for us is that we're getting answers to our questions and we're getting to share it with you guys. And, and you guys are such cool people. Yeah. And we're meeting so many cool people along the way. I mean, our guests are so fun as people, as, as professionals, like we are having the best time. So far I've fallen in love with all of them. Yeah. I'm going to send them rings in the mail, I tell know. them to sign my marriage certificate. Yeah. So I'm many weddings guys. are coming. <laughs> it's crazy. How many people can you marry legally? That's actually a really good question. Yeah, that's a whole episode, I'm sure. Legal legal marriages and other. Literally, my life has turned into, can I make this an episode? I know, it's a little bit crazy, me too. I'm like, okay, so I'm going to say this and send this to Katie. I'm getting so many messages from her too, like, look at this. Look at this person. We should see this person. Oh, yeah. Our DMs on the Coconut Grove page is just me filling it up with TikToks. <laughs> Or like guests, ideas, or whatever. It's it's become a whole like brainstorm inbox. It's so cool. Yeah, I think we're we're highly inspired and we're on a roll. We're on fire. We're we're doing this. And today we are really on fire because like Katie was saying, we're recording three episodes batching so we can take off for Christmas, rest, recharge. Um, yeah, take a break. But we don't want you guys to take a break. We want you guys to be fully engaged and having the best time um, while you're relaxing. So Slash give us something to listen to when you're out of town, Ashley, I'm just going to plug in the podcast and be like, I miss Ashley. Oh, let me listen to here's something. her sweet voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So speaking of three episodes, uh, Katie, you want to tell everyone about what episode we are covering today and who we're talking to? Yeah. So this episode, we have Carolina Jodkovolska. What is Carolina Jodkovolska? Carolina Jodkovolska. Um, neither of us can pronounce that correctly, but, but we really we care. are trying we, to do it justice. We, we would like to get it right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, she'll introduce herself later and you can have the probably correct pronunciation from there. But anyways, so she is a life coach slash, um, I don't know. What, what was the term? She's a life coach and, and I believe an alcohol-free coach. So someone who helps you go alcohol-free. Um, and she's also a best-selling author with a book coming out. Um, she considers herself also an entrepreneur. So um, her whole business behind this is sort of like her nine to five. And then, um, I guess, writer and uh, coach and mentor as well. Yeah. So we uh, had that conversation a little bit ago and... Ashley and I both kind of went in knowing we had we are sober curious or have had experiences where we were sober for any amount of time. So we we kind of had this idea in the back of our minds, like, should we scale back our alcohol? Like, what does a sober life look like for people who are moderate drinkers? And um, when she reached out and let us know about her book coming out, it was like, fate I think. I think it was fate honestly <laughs> we are both looking at January with open eyes like oh is it the time is it dry January time is it time to like live our higher life live that 
better energy and finally do all those things that we have been dying to do with maybe more energy than we have yeah, had. Yeah, less hangovers. Less hangovers. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what was really interesting is a lot of things that Carolina got into and um, chatted with us about, I think they really aligned with things that we've both been through personally. Um, so either thoughts we've had, like things that are, we're curious about or actual personal experiences of needing to cut out alcohol and going through small breaks. Um, so we talk a bit about our personal experience there and she gives us some foundations of like what that might've meant for us and why that was important. Um, she answers a lot of our questions, um, about that. She was so well-spoken, so educated, like, I think she's also really inspiring for like the entrepreneurial woman. I think men and women will both benefit from this episode um fairly but equally but she's she's a leader she's a strong female leader entrepreneur who left her nine to five job and is sharing such good inspiring advice to anyone who's considering leaving their nine to five for anyone who's really trying to self-actualize so reach that higher self do those things like she said she started um right away by signing up for a half marathon. I mean, how kick-ass is that? So this episode, I think, speaks to more than just alcohol. I think it's like, what can you achieve when you cut ties with those the negative habits that you have in your life? Yeah, and I think this is so timely for a lot of reasons. Um, so this is the first episode of January. So this is like, we're in the middle of dry January. If you started um, on New Year's Eve, you're a couple of days in already. Um, uh, Carolina also has her book coming out tomorrow, um, Euphoric. What was it? Oh, oh, I have it right here. Um, so she has her best-selling book coming out, Euphoric, Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. Yeah, and that comes out on January 4th. So that will be tomorrow. This is already an Amazon number one bestseller. And I know she was... Um, talking about how it's being signed on with a pretty big uh, publication, agency, publication yeah. agency. So she's doing big things. This is a girl you want to watch out for. I mean, this absolutely. This girl is up and coming. She's super cool. I feel so privileged to have been able to chat with her. And she, I don't think she had to sell me on her book, but I am absolutely going to go buy that book, um, support her all I can and get invested. Um, she also has, a, I think it's an eight week program where you can get some of the basics, get her one-on-one -on -one help. Um, and then she talked a bit about how she is moving more into working with women who are already a little bit further along in their journey and they're, um, they've done a bit of alcohol-free time and they're looking for that next step. So if you're in that place, this is also a good episode for you. Yeah, I think everyone should listen to this. I mean, I think everyone should listen to every episode we ever do. But if you're really but choosy... Yeah, this if you're if you're you. picking and choosing, this is a perfect episode for the start of the year. Um, even if you're not considering ditching alcohol and the entire time you're like, I do not care if you're sober. I that's not my life. I think you can still pull so much from this episode. Yeah, and if all you get out of this episode is um, some great cocktail recipes, I should oh. say mocktail recipes. Yes, then that's good. So check it out. Get in there, dive in. Let us know what you think. Again. Um, we just want to plug to rate, review, and subscribe. It's been so helpful for um, the metrics for being able to grow the podcast, which means we can um, grow 
which means we can get bigger, better guests and share more interesting, exciting things with you guys and also support the, um, the different, um, avenues that we want to support. So giving back to charities, giving back to organizations in LA and around. Um, so your support goes more than just fueling our, um, desire to talk. It is, it is, you know, twofold to that. So thank you so much for those early supporters. We are loving you and we are so excited. So without further ado, should we let's do it. Let's dive get into in and meet episode. Carolina. Okay. See you guys on the other side. Bye. Carolina Jodkovolsa here. Um, she is a certified alcohol-free coach and best-selling author. Um, her mission is to work with people who want to see what they are capable of without alcohol holding them back and unlock another level of their potential in their lives in an alcohol-free life. Um, she is a best-selling author and she's got a new book coming out on January 4th called Euphoric, Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. Um, she also is a coach that helps people work through that and has some courses that you can sign up for. So we are super excited to have her on our show. Welcome, Carolina. Yay! Thank you so much, Ashley, Katie. I'm so excited to be here today. Oh, good. Thanks We're for super coming. happy to have you. <laughs> So anything we missed, what else um, can you tell us about yourself? Yeah, you know, so this is something that I personally went through myself. And I, I feel like when it comes to alcohol in our society, it's such a taboo topic. And we really mm. only talk about it in like two extremes. So we have like first the let's go out for happy hour. Let's go to the winery this weekend. Let's have some drinks. You know, it's part of our normal socializing conventions. You know, it's really ingrained in our kind of society. And then we talk about it in the like other extreme way when things get really bad, right? When someone hits rock bottom and they have to go to AA or rehab and they're an alcoholic for the rest of their life. Now, what we miss is the huge spectrum in between that, right? Like we don't talk about alcohol as a phenomenon, as a habit, as a, mm. a conditioning construct that we have, a social norm. We really don't give ourselves the introspection and reflection to think about alcohol in our society very much. That's changing though, right? And that's why I think the alcohol-free revolution comes in. It doesn't really matter what your drinking habits are. You know, it used to be that you drank way too much and only then would you look at alcohol as, as a problem in your life. Now more and more people are just asking themselves, is my wine with dinner serving me? Mm -hmm. Is my weekend partying serving me? You know, all these different scenarios, just asking yourself, is the role that alcohol is playing in my life as a tool, as a way I socialize, is it helping me? And so I found myself just really in that middle ground. You know, I partied really hard when I was in college and grad school. I went to UCLA um, and I had no boundaries around alcohol. I was drinking way too much, right? But as I grew up, I started to get more healthy, more mindful, and really kind of tone it down. And so by the time I was 30 years old, I considered myself both a healthy and mindful person. I ate pretty well. I worked out. I did my yoga. I did my meditation. And that was like my life Monday through Thursday. And then the weekend came, right? And then I would go out and I would hang out with my friends and I would go to the dinner party, the wedding, the sushi night, or just the Netflix and wine, right? Mm -hmm. And Every single Monday morning, I woke up feeling like I had taken five steps backwards. Like all the healthy stuff I did during the week didn't matter. I felt so like physically unwell. I felt pretty gloomy. I felt unmotivated. And I was literally 
doing this on repeat for years, years and years and years of the same cycle. And I would like every Monday just be like getting this voice, like telling me I, I'm made for more than this, right? I deserve so much better than this. And yet I would look around me and this pattern was everywhere. This is what everyone was doing. Everybody drank, right? You know, and, and I didn't really feel like I had permission to look into alcohol in my life because if I did, I thought it would mean that I would be labeled and that I would all of a sudden be an alcoholic and have to go to AA. So I kept just dealing with this drama, I guess, every single week for years and years and years. And it wasn't until I heard a dry January a few years ago that I was like, oh my God, this is my excuse. I can take a break from alcohol. I don't have to tell anyone I have a problem. I can just have this, you know, perfectly socially valid excuse to do it. And I did it and I honestly fell in love. I fell in love with how much more energy I had throughout the day, how much better I slept and how I was slowly but surely getting more confident and comfortable in my own skin when I was around other people and not drinking, socializing really. And so I had this great month, but February comes along and I basically think to myself like, well, like drinking's just part of the normal adulthood. This is what we all do. You know, I have a networking event coming up. I have this trip. I have all this stuff. And I basically told myself the story, normal adults drink. So therefore, if you want to be normal, you must drink. So I drank a few times that February and I hated it. Like the contrast was so rich that I was like, oh my God, my sleep sucks. Even like one or two drinks would lower my mood. I would feel impatient, cranky. I would even start little fights with my husband. Uh, and I like, I, I didn't like how I couldn't journal at night. I couldn't read at night. Like it just stole away so much. And I was like, what is this worth? Like, what is this giving me? You know, and, and really that contrast helped me show I want to take another break. So I decided to take another break at that point. And, you know, I got to 30 days and I was like, this is really good. I want to keep going. I got to 60 days and I just got better and better and better, which I'll share a little bit more throughout the episode. But I basically took that break and carved it out for the next four years because my life has just exploded in the best possible way, physically, mentally, my soul, my purpose, my meaning um, in so many beautiful ways. And now I'm so passionate about this message because it's just a gift I want to give other people. You know, it's not about abstinence and it's not about black or white thinking or never drinking again. But sometimes unless you try it, you literally have no idea how really your natural state without a substance in your body really feels. Um, and a lot of people do like it, do experience a lot of great benefits. So it's really just, I think, an acceptable wellness movement that's happening afoot where literally you don't need a label, you don't need a problem, you don't need to even explain it to anyone, no matter what your drinking habit is, you should be allowed to explore this in your life. Wow. I love like everything that you said. <laughs> that is so inspiring. Your story is something I think a lot of us align with and are questioning. It's super timely. Like you said, I think there's a movement for this going on right now, especially in, in the U.S. Yeah, I actually did a dry January once. It was 2019. Um, and I, I kind of wish I did it a little bit longer. Um, that was, yeah, it was, it was kind of like an experience that tests your, like that inner mind. Like, can you quiet that inner mind that always tells you to stop uh, when you should keep going or um, to tell you to keep going when you should stop, like kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I had a really great experience. I do recall one specific moment that like really set it in for me, like the curiosity. I remember that I went out with friends and we went to um, some clubs here in LA. We went to some bars. We were kind of like hopping around. And I was having so much fun just like existing, <laughs> basically, that like 
and this wasn't this wasn't um during my dry january period i was drinking um the days around so but something about this specific day i was like i don't want to drink i'm having too much fun to want to alter my state of mind right now um and that was probably one of the like like most exciting, most fun days that I had going out with my friends. Um, and we're not talking like 7 p.m., like let's get wasted. We're talking like like midnight, like you should be at a bar drinking and having fun with everybody. But like I kept getting offered drinks and you know, people were like, let me buy you a drink kind of thing. It's just something about that day. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to. I'm having too much fun. I don't want to alter it. Um, that just really sticks out to me. And that's really what piqued my curiosity. I'm like, if I can have a moment like that surrounded by days where I'm regularly drinking, but this specific day where I decided it just didn't feel right was like such a memorable moment for me. So that it truly piqued my interest in this. So um, yeah, that's my end. <laughs> I love that, you know, so much because I think we sometimes forget our body is capable of creating its own natural buzzes. And the thing with alcohol is it's like very much this passive form of entertainment. Like it very quickly stimulates the pleasure center in our brain and it really like unleashes this artificial high spike of dopamine. Cocaine will do the same, so will heroin, right? But what happens is this artificial spike goes high and then it peaks real fast and it goes lower than when you started. Hmm. Uh, In addition to that, the body releases stress hormones in response to alcohol because it's a depressant and wants to like wake the body back up. So you release cortisol, adrenaline, and something called dynorphin when you drink. Dynorphin is kind of like the opposite of endorphins. It makes you feel low and sad. And so many people can feel this, you know, a few hours after drinking. If you've ever woken up at like 3 or 4 a.m. after drinking, that's like the spike of stress hormones. Or just the next day, you're feeling anxious, a little moody, a little unmotivated, you know. And so it's really cool about taking a break from alcohol or not drinking in a moment is that you can actually allow some of that to rebalance. You can allow those uh, stress hormones to go down and some of the um, other happiness neurotransmitters like dopamine, serotonin, and GABA, they also get lowered over time with drinking. So those can kind of rebalance in your brain. What ends up happening too is that you start to get, um, you start to become more sensitive to like naturally occurring dopamine. You know, like Mm -hmm. I, I use the term passive entertainment because like I think we're supposed to be creators of our own fun and our own joy, right? And when we do that, we tap into this like thrill, we tap into this excitement or this natural buzz that feels so much better than that artificial buzz could ever feel. And so it's a really, really cool phenomenon if anyone wants to explore it. I mean, this is why I call my book, my company Euphoric, because that's literally how I felt. I remember being so happy. I felt like I was falling in love, honestly. I was really giddy. I was uh, having little dance parties with my dog. I was doing like impersonations with my husband. I remember just like staring one afternoon at clouds for like hours. I was just so mesmerized. And it was almost like that childlike wonder, that childlike sense of fun kind of came back to me and I forgot about her. You know, I think we used to have a lot of fun when we were kids. We had sleepovers, we went ice skating, we climbed trees, we put on plays. And then all of a sudden, as we grow up, we start outsourcing all of our fun to this drink, to, you know, nights out and alcohol. And I think it kind of actually robs us of discovering, hey, what what do I actually find fun? What is naturally fun for me? What do I find pleasure in? What do I makes me happy? So it can be a really cool experience, whether it's one night or, you know, multiple months to really lean into that and discover that. I think it's really interesting um, that you talk about sort of the rebalancing of the different hormones and how there's that second spike of a bunch of different hormones that are causing us to basically have a reaction post-drinking night. And, um, you know, I just think 
I've had also a personal experience, but maybe the opposite way. So full disclosure, I have an anxiety disorder and I went also to university. I was taking my master's um, a few years ago and I was unmedicated. I didn't know that I had like a, a diagnosis of an anxiety disorder. And I realized actually in reflecting over the last year or two that I was self-medicating during that time. So I was um, drinking like a full bottle of wine once or twice a weekend without friends. Um, just trying to like calm myself down to get through my master's and to get through the weekend and um, ended up graduating, um, ended up moving back home, having more support systems in place and actually pretty much went dry for a year, almost um, was on like a nutrition and wellness movement, was working out like four or five days a week, lost 25 pounds. Um, and that was, that was like my COVID year, but that year of doing that and reflecting really let me see, okay, I, I don't do that well with alcohol. And I did have a time of self-medicating. Um, and yeah, I think that alcohol and mental health conditions don't mix that well. And so what you were saying really hits home because that is probably what I was doing to myself in that time, especially yeah. during that, that master's. You said that was during COVID? You quit alcohol? Almost exclusively. Now, this, wow. was, this was mainly to keep my macros in place because <laughs> there's a lot of sugar in that. But um, it, it almost exclusively eliminated alcohol because I did not have the macros, the, yeah. the calories for, for alcohol for, for that time. And I went on for about a year and a half, pretty much. Um, I'm, I'm just out of that now, but I, I'm still in the mindset. I'm still thinking yeah. like it might be time to get back on that horse. That's awesome that you did that though, Ashley, because I like, I think the statistics that I was reading is the opposite that people were drinking more during quarantine. Yeah. I mean, Caroline, what do you uh, think about that? Did you have experience with people during COVID and, and their experiences with alcohol? Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you shared that, you know, a little bit more deeper because uh, it's like no one's fault too to like form an alcohol habit. Like if you think about it, we all start drinking when we're teenagers, you know, like in college. And it's like pushed on us in so many different ways from marketing, TV shows. Like we literally think a glass of wine relaxes us at the end of the day. Where physically, physiologically, that's actually not true for the human body, right? And so it's easy to like be have a stressful day, have anxiety, whatever you're feeling and just want the glass of wine to kind of like melt it all away. But what we don't understand on the back end is it's actually creating more stress on a molecular level in the body. Um, which then can like really be like a cycle because the only time you feel good is the moment you drink and then the stress hormones are going crazy every other time, you know? So it's really, really awesome to be exploratory, I think in your mental health, just to be like, okay, this is what I feel like with alcohol in my life. This is what I feel like without it. You won't really know until you try that. Going back to COVID though, I think it went one of two ways, you know, like some people recognize like, okay, I'm not socializing anymore, really, right? Like at the start of COVID, like we all really stayed home. Um, like I could, I could literally, this could go really bad for me if I just, if I don't look at it, if I don't like think of it intentionally. And so I know a lot of people who decided at that moment is a great moment to, to take a break from alcohol. But then the opposite also happened probably for the majority of people. Alcohol sales went through the roof in 2022. They went up like 62%. Yeah. Um, and it's dangerous too, because I mean, I remember seeing commercials and little uh, advertisements in magazine about like, you know, having a stressful day with Zoom meetings, like here's your whiskey or something. And I was like, geez, like this is the last thing people need right now, you know? So definitely, um, I think the alcohol-free movement is making it so much more acceptable 
to go alcohol free, to try a break, to do all these things. But as a trend, we drank as a society probably way more over COVID. But also, really interestingly, in the last 30 years, it's gone up a lot too. So, um, you know, both of us, all of us are probably like really babies at that point, not even alive yet. But like this American drinking habits have gone up a lot in the last 30 years. What do you um, think you is know, the reason for that? I mean, think of it. There used to not be breweries on every street corner, right? Like that wasn't normal. Uh, mommy juice, the, the culture of wine has really taken on in the U.S. Back in the like 70s, like people drank soda more often for dinner than wine, right? It mm-hmm. wasn't culturally as accepted here. Uh, our disposable income has gone up. The like marketing messages have gone up. And what's really happened too, especially in the 80s and 90s and then now, is that women started drinking a lot more. So it used to be a thing where like the guy drank, right? And the woman Mm -hmm. took care of the household or whatever. So like with the gender, you know, revolution, which is great, there's also that message of you can drink just like a guy, right? You can have it all. And so women started drinking a lot more as well. And it's totally like peddled. I mean, I don't think you guys have kids yet maybe, but uh, like there's circles where there's like literally it's called mommy juice and you go Mm -hmm. to... A soccer game and all the moms have little tumblers of wine 50 years ago that would have been called alcoholism right like you don't show up to a kid's right. event with wine in your tumbler now it's totally normal right it's it's totally socially acceptable and so because of that rise in alcohol not only have like more issues been coming from that like doctors are seeing liver issues and all these other complications from people who aren't addicted by any means to alcohol but also I think that our norm our new normal of what what drinking looks like is so elevated So that's the thing is that most people actually, they've proven, I've done a lot of research for my book, most people who drink have a complicated relationship with alcohol. Uh, Most people overdrink. Most people drink more than the health guidelines. The health guidelines are really, really, really low. You know what I mean? So it's normal. We don't just go out to a club or out to a party with our friends and everyone just drinks one drink and says, all right, that's it. That's the night. Let's go (laughs) dance now. People overdrink, you know? And so uh, it's not only become the norm, it's also like, abnormal to see, uh, you know, light drinking or occasional drinking in our society, Um, which is, I think, is what the alcohol-free movement really kind of allows you to step into a rebellious role, to be like, just because the society and the commercials and all these other things are telling me I need to drink every time I want to go out to have fun or to be social or to relax after the end of this stressful day, I can stand up to that messaging. You know, it's I sometimes see really good parallels between what the alcohol industry and trends are doing compared to what the cigarette industry and trends were doing, you know, a few decades ago. Uh, so it can be really interesting to look at that. But like, I think we still live in a society where for all intents and purposes, if you didn't, if you say no to alcohol, people start asking you, oh, are you pregnant or do you have a problem? As if there's no other reason, no other valid reason why you would choose not to drink. And I know that's changing, and I think the younger generation is changing it more than like than people who are a bit older. It's still so ingrained in their minds. But I mean, we have to change it. Like taking a break from alcohol or going alcohol free is literally one of the healthiest things you could do for you, both your body, your mind, your soul. There's so many incredible benefits. And in, as long as we keep putting all this stigma or this judgment or this just you know strange uh, questioning around it, like it's gonna prevent people from really asking themselves. Not do I have a problem, but is this making me happy? You know, that's a totally different question. doesn't matter what your drinking habit looks like to be able to ask yourself that honestly and weigh it out. You know, for me, it was like a love-hate relationship. Like, I thought I loved a lot of parts of it, but then I really hated the negative consequences. And I actually had to start challenging myself to ask myself, okay, the things I love about it, are they really true? Like, are, do they really empower me? 
you know, for example, I'm an introvert and I grew up pretty shy. So when I started drinking in late high school and then in college, alcohol was like this magical elixir for me. Like it turned me into an extrovert. I thought I was more confident. I thought I was more popular, all these things. But what I didn't realize after like a whole decade of using alcohol to, you know, kind of outsource my confidence to, you know, become more confident when I was socializing is that I was actually crumbling my self-esteem over time because it was like I was telling myself subconsciously, hey, you're not good enough. You're not likable. You're, nobody wants to talk to you. You have nothing interesting to say. You're not popular. Pick up this drink and then you'll be those things. And so I actually became more insecure over time. Because unless I had that like magical elixir with me, you know what I mean? It was like, I'm not, I I didn't like practice it. I didn't find that confidence within. It wasn't this authentic source that I found. And that was something that I had to learn and grow and practice and like, you know, flex my sober socializing muscle. And now I really truly from within feel confident. And sure, it can still be awkward, you know, first like five to 10 minutes somewhere when you don't know people, but that's actually really normal, right? Like that's how humans are meant to interact and then kind of lean into that and move past that. Um, And so that's just like one reason, like, for example, I thought for so long, okay, alcohol makes me confident, makes socializing easier. But when I really looked at that reason, I had to ask myself like, no, that's not true at all. It makes me more insecure. I would have been at an event and being like, do I have wine teeth? Did I say that? Did I just make a fake new best friend? Remember those, right? Yeah, we all have a lot of those. It wasn't really true. It wasn't making me more confident whatsoever. And so I kind of went through a process and I kind of share a little bit about that in my book. How can you take all the reasons why you think you like to drink or why you think it serves you or brings you benefits and actually look at those and really look at, see, are these true? And maybe you can start experimenting with a a non-drinking break to really, you know, show yourself the experience in a new way and kind of build out your own power, build out your own empowerment and find those tools within yourself, you know, whether it's simple things like learning how to relax without alcohol. I mean, physiologically, alcohol does not relax the human body. So let's find something that actually does work. And when you take it away, you're almost left with this beautiful playing field where you have to discover that, you know, you have to learn. Maybe it's breath work after work. Maybe it's going on a nice run. Maybe it's just watching the sunset. Maybe it's, you know, blah, 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 fill in the blank. But we have to find things that actually work, you know, instead of using something that comes with a lot more negative side effects than it does really help. Yeah, something that I'm curious to like hear your perspective on is um, like uh, different countries, the way that different countries view alcohol. Like um, the culture of alcohol is different in the U.S. than it is in France, for example. Um, So do you think this is like more an American issue, Um, like being able to control how much we're drinking? Or do you think it is a global issue with making like in France, for example, I was watching like... um, a documentary on like Disney parks and like how they were building Disney parks. And initially they were not going to add um, like wine or any alcohol to the park in Disneyland Paris. But then the French threw up their hands and they said, how dare you? You don't know anything about the French because we have wine with everything. Um, so yeah, I would just like to hear your perspective on that. Do you think it's, it's cultural? Do you think it's um, location or is it just like a global issue? Absolutely. I think, you know, for one, it's definitely a Western issue. I mean, there's still countries out there right now where, you know, alcohol is not legal even, right, to drink. Mm -hmm. So there's certain cultures that grow up without it, um, and they might have it, obviously, as they're rebelling or there's, you know, secret ways to find it or whatever, but it's definitely a Western issue. And there is, there has been historically this difference where the the U.S., Australia, and U.K. 
had a culture more of like binge drinking and like drinking a lot to like celebrate or party or whatever. And then it had more of a cultural uh, daily placement in Europe and especially in France, right? And so that kind of existed for a long time, that kind of dichotomy. However, it is actually sometimes a misnomer to say like, oh, the French have it all figured out. Like they have totally healthy relationships with alcohol. That's not true when you look at the statistics of like consumption when it comes to France. And the thing is, is that they've now proven that there is no safe amount of alcohol. So that whole idea that like a glass of red wine every day for your heart is not actually the case. Like one glass of red wine is actually the equivalent of a few cigarettes on a human body for their cancer risk. Cancer risk. Right, because it's a carcinogenic. Exactly. So we're completely like debunking all of that stuff. But they've actually, you know, they've actually shown that a lot of times whatever we think is moderate isn't. It's way above the health guidelines. So even if someone drinks like a glass of wine every day in France, you know, but then they drink a few more on the weekend or something like that, it all like turns out to be a little bit too much. And that's the thing. Sometimes I'll, I'll talk to people and they'll be like, oh, I don't really drink that often. It's not really a thing in my life. And then they, you, you, you learn a little bit more and they drink like almost every day. And you're like, how is that not a thing in your life? It's like saying, I don't really watch any TV. And it's like, oh, but I watch TV every day, <laughs> right? So it's like alcohol is usually a presence in our Western culture. I think no matter what, whether you define it as like really heavy drinking or binge drinking or party drinking or just this like daily constant. And it's been really ingrained, I think, in our social fabric. I mean, I don't think you can go anywhere almost past 5 p.m. without alcohol being involved, right? In some kind of socializing aspect. Like, it is, it's dominated our social world. And I think that's what's really cool about this new movement. And it's really questioning that. Like, is that really leading us to more happiness? Is it really allowing us, you know, for me to share a little bit more about my story? I used to work a corporate job, a nine to five. I had all these wishes and dreams for my life, these someday goals I wanted to achieve but I never worked on them, right? The highlight of my week was a bottle of wine on the weekend. Uh, I used to always want to write. I used to want to launch a business, all these things, but I just basically sludged through the week, you know, like couldn't wait for the weekend, can't TGIF. And then the weekend was my time to let loose. And what I never realized was that the reason why I was so driven to, you know, let loose on the weekend is I was so unfulfilled with my week. I was literally like searching for more purpose in my life, but not getting it. And so when I took my break from alcohol, not only did like physically feel better, I found more confidence, I get happier, but I actually start asking myself like, what do I really want to do on this planet Earth? You know, like I really have this one life, like the profundity of it really hit me. And I also got the courage and confidence that I had been building by going alcohol free to then kind of surge over into these other areas of my life. Um, you know, for example, even when it comes to like some of the things I've done, I just have really limiting stories about different things that I wanted to do, but why I couldn't do them. So like, I knew I didn't like having a boss. I knew I wanted to travel more. I knew I wanted to live this impact lifestyle where I directly like help people. I knew I wanted to have this legacy. And yet I was scared. I was terrified of what that meant for me. And I basically told myself, entrepreneurs are these white tech geniuses who live in the Silicon Valley. Not me, (laughs) not this like by foreign kid, right? And I was like, I could never, I could never be like that public. I could just never. And I told myself that story for years being unfulfilled in a day job that wasn't serving me. And it wasn't until I took my break from alcohol that like the blinders came off and it was like, Carolina, if you could do this, if you could not only change your habit, like master your Achilles heel, go alcohol free in a society that tells you to drink at every occasion, like launching a business is going to be easy peasy, right? And so I started taking all those baby steps and I, you know, became a coach. I wrote a book. 
I launched a business, I quit my day job. I started tackling all these bigger goals that I had literally put on the someday shelf and I started doing them today. And the thing is, is that my story, I'm not an anomaly. Like I have worked with so many clients and just have heard from so many people that they take a prolonged break from alcohol and they really start doing such deeper soul searching to reevaluate what they really want in their lives. So it's really not about a drink at the end of the day. It's not about a beverage. It's about making space for what you really want most. It's about like taking out the thing that doesn't serve you so you can attract and invite in what you want most and have that clarity of intuition and creativity to then go after it. You know, so I've had clients who've launched businesses themselves, you know, written books themselves, maybe formed some kind of community group or a nonprofit in their local area, moved. You know, I just had a client, she worked a corporate job and she just quit and moved her family to France and they're going to live wow. there for a year That's having incredible. like the adventure of their lifetime and then she plans <laughs> to write a memoir about the experience. You know, she literally credits like if I didn't go alcohol free, I would have never had the bravery or the gumption to do something like that. And I just, I feel like that's what it's really about. Again, it's not about a beverage. It's just asking yourself, is this lifestyle aligned to my deeper values? Does it allow me to go after my bigger dreams? Every Monday morning, I woke up feeling depressed and motivated, you know, all the things. I could have never, I would have never made the progress that I've made. I would have always been stuck in this like little steps forward, little steps back, you know, like every single week. And now it's almost like this upward spiral where nothing is really stopping me every single week. I just keep making progress and progress and progress. And now my life is a night and day difference. Like I have a book coming out. It's already a bestseller on Amazon. You know, like I'm able to be friends with some of my heroes in the in the sphere. Um, I have so many other friends that I've met and so many cool connections that I, I reach out to. It's just my life is so much more enriched now. And I, I can't believe it all is from that one little decision of, should I take wow. a break from alcohol? Not should I quit forever? Please don't ever have to put that forever label to it. That's almost unnecessary. It's just having the experimentation to be like, let's try this. And then when you try it and you like it, part of me had to just say like, okay, I know exactly how I feel as a drinker. Like I've lived that life. I know exactly what the Monday mornings feel like. I know exactly my sleep levels. I just know exactly what the shape and the feel of that is. I don't know what I'm capable of as a non-drinker. And I'm kind <laughs> of hungry to find out. And that is really what spurred me to just keep going and going and going. And looking back, like, again, I'm so amazed at what's happened, you know, during that time uh, and also what is still out there in the future. So, you know, like, I think it's just more of like not only re prioritizing your health or your mental health, but also your personal growth. You know, like you said earlier, taking a break forces you to like go within. <laughs> you have to feel your thought feelings and th hear your thoughts and kind of get to know yourself in a new way without like the the kind of uh, numbing that comes from alcohol or just the, you know, let's just go straight there as a tool before I realize what's really going on. I think you mentioned earlier that it's sort of like a normal human response to go to a party or go to a social event and take that first five to 10 minutes and feel the feelings, feel uncomfortable, try to go through those awkward moments. And that seems to be kind of like what you went through and what some of your clients are going through is that initial phase of, I want something different. I want to feel my feelings. And because you go through those actual true feelings, you're able to assess what you're trying to do with your life and you're able to actually make goals and achieve those milestones because you aren't numbing yourself you aren't taking the the I guess like easy way out to um just staying in your nine to five circle of a week right so it's sort of like 
your example earlier plays out in a bigger way with, it seems like most people who are going through this and going through this movement. Um, but I'm wondering, do you think that there is like, um, either for yourself or for some of your clients where it was like that light bulb moment, like they know they're feeling it. Is there something someone has to feel or look out for that would be maybe a reason to go ahead with the alcohol free moment or the break or, you know, what should people be looking for, um, to say, yeah, it's time to go for this. That's such a good question. And I remember for me, like, I think there's this voice of intuition that we all have, you know, and, um, she's quiet. She's not very loud. She's not this like huge resounding voice and like the inner critic or the fear we have that sometimes can be louder than her. But that intuition to me, I feel like is connected to something bigger. I think it's connected to my deepest inner guide, my deepest higher self, my connection literally to the universe, to God, whatever words you use to describe it. And I remember so deeply on those Monday mornings is when I heard her the most. And she was very quiet, but she was telling me, Carolina, you're made for more you are made for more. And I heard that message and I ignored it for a long time, long, long, long time, right? I was like, what are you asking me to do? This isn't normal. This isn't what people do. (laughs) But when I stepped in and listened to that message that I'm made for more than this, and you could literally ask that in so many different ways, whether it's like your drinking pattern or your current career or your current relationships and friendships, whatever it is, or how you find your sense of meaning or purpose or legacy on this planet, anything you could ask that question for, right? And that's what I heard is you're made for more. And from there, I just had to almost take a leap of faith. Like, I don't think I would hear this message if it wasn't true. And I'm just going to explore to see what that means and what that looks like. And that's the thing that like really hits people, I think, over the head and my clients is they hear that, they listen to it, they take their break. And then it's like you jump and the universe catches you with the most incredible miracles on the other side. And you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm literally getting proof in so many different epiphanies, beautiful moments, just the deep connections I'm feeling, the beautiful getting to know myself, all these just different gifts that you receive and that you notice, right? Because like you, your attention is given back to you, your mindfulness is given back to you, you know, it's not always like, when am I going to have a drink later? I mean, I remember even the littlest things, like if I was at at a vacation and there was like a really pretty sunset. Oh, you got to get a drink. You got to find a bar. You got to sit at a patio and watch it. And it was almost like my mind was then taken away from the beautiful thing. Or I remember going like on a hike with my husband and being like, I can't wait for happy hour after this, you know? So my mind the whole time is like happy hour, happy hour, happy hour. That's going to be a 10. This hike is just like a five, you know, whatever. And it was like, it was, I was dismissing these beautiful moments in my life. And so when you come back to them, when you don't have that chatter in your brain of always there's this future, you know, dopamine manipulation you're about to get, you start to appreciate everything around you in a different way. And that sense of wonder and appreciation, like, is literally, like, our life is made up of these beautiful moments. And if we're always pressing fast forward on them, we won't get to experience them. And so it's it can very be very deep, right? Those moments when you recognize, like, oh my gosh, I am here, I am now. And then I think that voice I was getting from my intuition saying, you are made for more. You know, the first time I listened to her, we formed a little relationship. And then she kept coming back and telling me more messages. And she kept telling me, you know, like, this is the book you're meant to write. Or, you know, launch this website today. Like, I literally got this out of, like, it didn't feel like it came from me even. You know what I mean? It, feel like, it felt like a download from somewhere else. And it's, it's these little baby steps and I'm just on the lookout for them today. You know, it's not these night and day, black and white kind of differences. 
it's just like now I feel a much stronger connection to that intuition and I know that I'm being guided. You know, I have faith that like I'm being guided. I'm not alone. I'm being supported by something like with me here. So I know that's kind of like a woo-woo spiritual kind of a, a take oh, on Oh, it's that right up my alley. It's right up my alley. <laughs> I think that's I how we like operate. I feel like that's yeah. like that deeper message that people get, that they know that they're ready. And then once they start doing it, that they're getting all the signs that, yes, 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 you are meant to do this. <laughs> Um, well, first off, I want to know if you had any mentors or somebody who kind of piqued this interest for you, if you had heard about it specifically from somebody like, um, another like sobriety coach or anything like that. Um, was there anybody who kind of like led you to this path or was it like mostly internal? Great question. And I'll try to be as succinct as possible, but I remember in November, the year before I said I did my dry January, I read this article in a health magazine and it was around a woman who considered herself a moderate drinker, and she took a break from alcohol in January, and she liked it so much that she never went back. It was the first time I've ever heard of a moderate drinker ever saying something like that, like not a story of alcoholism or addiction or something, you know. Obviously, we're all like on the spectrum, like don't get me wrong, but you know what I mean, just not that like that stereotypical story. And something clicked in me, something really clicked in me that was like, that's going to be you, Carolina, that's going to be you. And that was like one of those gut intuitive things, but I didn't logically believe that obviously yet. Um, And then when I did my break from alcohol, I kind of did it all by myself and I just changed the habit. And so I remember how I told you I did a month off alcohol and then I went back to drinking. The thing about what I did then is I only removed the habit and I wasn't really working on the mindset. I wasn't really looking into the deeper reasons why I like to drink or really surrounding myself with this community that was alcohol free. So by the time February comes around, even though I love my experience, my desires for alcohol are pretty much still there. They're still very similar. And that's when things changed. So when I decided to take that second break, that's when I decided I'm going to learn everything there is to learn about this. I'm going to dive really deep. I'm going to change my mindset. And that's when I started finding other people online. I started reading some books that were really monumental. But basically what the really thing that changed my mind is I found people who were so uplifting online who were sharing about everything they can do because they're alcohol-free. Like people were doing Spartan races or climbing mountains or writing books and just waking up at 6 a.m. being like, I'm hangover-free. And they were making it seem so like, oh my God, you just want to be one of those people. You just want to be that like filled with that much potential and that much like energy and motivation. And so instead of like thinking of going alcohol-free as in my mind as like a weakness or something that like those people have to do, uh, and immediately when I surrounded myself with those mentors, and at first it was, I'll just say some names, Annie Grace, Andy Ramage, uh, Catherine Gray, I was like, something clicked in my mind that was like, these are the coolest people ever. And they're doing the coolest things on the planet. And I want to be one of them. So it kind of really shifted my perspective because then when I started going out, I wasn't worried about questions. I wasn't worried about what people would say. I was really proud of it. I was like, I want you to ask me about my mocktail. I want to have the chance to share about this because I literally changed my mind about who does this. You know, Tony Robbins doesn't drink. Brene Brown doesn't drink. Gabby Bernstein. Drew Barrymore just came out that she hasn't drank in almost two and a half years. There's a lot of really cool movers and shakers on our planet who either don't drink or stop drinking or whatever it is that like I started to really, really look up to. So that's my answer in a nutshell. 
I love that. I love that. Um, so, um, how did you find your first client and then what does your coaching generally involve? Yeah. Um, so I started just getting active in the social space. I started obviously, you know, building my business, building my courses in the background. And I got my first client, um, from doing just building an email list and, and launching my coaching to that email list, just saying I have spots available. I obviously got certified beforehand so that, you know, I, I knew all the right stuff and, and everything like that. I got two certifications, so I kind of did them different times and I'm sure I'll be getting more over time just cause I'm a huge learner. Um, but I really just kind of put it out there. I made the offer out there and, uh, I, I remember being really terrified at first, you know, like, can I even help this person? Um, you know, like, what is it, what, what is this going to entail? But like every single thing I've done has scared me, you know, and then I do it and then I feel wildly fulfilled. And now things like that don't even, you know, like they don't scare me anymore. And the next thing that scares me is like much higher on the, on the ladder. Um, but now when I work with a client, so my sweet spot right now is actually helping women who are already taking a break from alcohol and they really are starting to go within that deeper process of discovering what's next for them, like what they want to really do from this raw potential that they've uncovered. So that's my favorite sweet spot right now. So I do help clients like either launch their own businesses or write their own books or just discover what that deeper passion is within them, kind of like the next chapter in life. And I also have courses and my book is really geared to someone who's at the very beginning who maybe hasn't taken their break yet from, from alcohol before and wants the, the roadmap there. So my course Become Euphoric is like an eight week plan to really walk you through every single day, every single week, like how to uh, navigate certain situations, how to build your own self-love, how to deal with your emotions, how to socialize, all the stuff, and then kind of leads you to asking deeper questions about what your bigger dreams are. And that's what I modeled my book around too. So my book, as you said earlier, is called Euphoric Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. Uh, it's on bookshelves like this week. It's going to be on, on January 4th. So Yay. get your copy. This episode will be out on the 3rd as well. So um, when this episode drops, it's coming out tomorrow on bookshelves. Yeah. So get in line. <laughs> yeah. And you can get your copy at euphoricbook.com or any uh, place where books are sold. Um, but the book really goes over like these are the juicy benefits you're going to experience, like the health, the body, the the mind, the soul. And then this is your plan how to do it. So it's uh, it's just a really cool if you're just starting, like check it out. If you're just curious, check it out. You know, it can really lead to a lot of introspection and growth for you. Lovely. That's so cool. I'm definitely checking it out. Me too. I'm going to I'm going to get some uh, Christmas reading in. <laughs> um, so that's super exciting. Um, I, I've been just holding on to this the whole time. It's burning in my mind, like alcohol free. Is it completely alcohol free? Is it lowering your alcohol intake? Is someone starting with like a decreased amount? And what do you do to replace that? Like, I know that people who quit habits, they, they like to have something in their hands or they like to have a, a new pattern that they instill. Like, can you speak to that? Absolutely. And I think it can be unique and personal to each person. Uh, so one of the things that I love is that, you know, first you have to just get to a point where you're mindful about it, where you're paying attention, where it's not just like this unconscious habit you do without thinking about it. And so a lot of times people start looking at it. Maybe they want to start drinking less. <clears throat> and that's kind of like the opening the door to Pandora's box, like, right, you're starting to look within. However, drinking less can often be really complicated, right? Like you're invited to a party. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to have one. And someone's like, come on, right? Like you're not. So um, it can often be really hard and challenging to try to drink less. So that's why I really love the idea of a break because it's really just this firm commitment. I'm not going to drink for 30 days or 60 days or 100 days. I can drink after that. It's not a big deal. I'm just taking this break. 
And that's the really cool time too that you can really compare apples to oranges. So a lot of the different changes that will happen in your body actually need a break to be able to like kind of really rebalance and heal from. So I think that's just a beautiful, beautiful gift. And then once someone's taken their break from alcohol, they again have all the autonomy in the world to decide what to do next. Do they want to, you know, go back to drinking? Oftentimes when they do, they learn like, "Eh, it's not quite how I liked it, right? And they might want to start drinking less. Do I want to drink occasionally or do I want to keep going alcohol-free or take more prolonged breaks throughout the year? You know what I mean? So I really think there's a room for for every size and shape. But I knew personally, um, I asked myself, like, why I remember like for a long time it took a long time to get to the point where I knew I I didn't want to really be a drinker anymore but I asked myself like why would I want to drink like why would I introduce it in my life and I thought about it I was like well it'd probably be occasionally and it'd probably be at like this this party or this celebration or this like champagne toast and I was like well but why why would you want to do that and I for me personally the the answer I was coming up with was to fit in to fit in to fit in Mm -hmm. to fit in and I was like Carolina when you try to fit in, when you try to like dim your light, when you try to be normal and mediocre, you become boring. You become like just like a sheep. Like you are meant to be extraordinary on this planet. You are meant to like use your gifts in a really unique way. And so for me, that was the decision maker. That was like, do I want to be normal? Normal is like pretty unhappy in our society, pretty unhealthy, pretty unfulfilled. All the things that, you know, we have pretty big problems around. Or do I want to be exceptional? And I knew my answer kind of led me to that. But people can find themselves all over the map and it could be a really cool journey. So there's this uh, book called Sober Curious, for example, where the author, she will mostly not drink. And when she does, she just kind of reminds her why she doesn't drink more of the, most of the time. You know what I mean? It's not really a big deal. It's not like this huge, you know, all or nothing kind of thing. So it's kind of like, I think the approach that's the most helpful to it is just like, just be curious, just allow yourself to lean in and you can evolve, you know, like one decision doesn't have to be your forever decision. It can always change and evolve as you grow yourself and and find what serves you and what needs you have, you know, and it doesn't vilify alcohol either. Like I honestly needed to go through what I went through and the party lifestyle and all the stuff I did when I was younger, but it's just like not who I am anymore. You know, like I have outgrown that and I'm really excited about who I'm becoming, you know? Yeah. I'm curious um, because, so you mentioned you're married. Um, Did you go through this um, when you were married? And if so, um, how did you work through that with your partner? Um, Were they drinking as well? That's a great question. And I think that anyone who's in a relationship, it comes out as like a really big fear because oftentimes we share that with our partners. We'll have date night, like every date night involved, involved alcohol for me, whether we were going to a restaurant or, you know, just a movie night at home. It was literally how we, I thought we bonded. It was just something we did together. And so first of all, when I took my break from alcohol, I had to discover that I'm doing this for me and I don't need them to do it with me. Great if they did, right? But think about it. Like when you do something like you decide you want to go back to school and get a master's degree or you want to maybe run a half marathon, you don't need your partner to sign up for you with you, right? To be able to do that for yourself. Like that's how we are able to grow and have our own passions and our own interests. And when you often go and change, you inspire other people, which is really beautiful. So for me and my partner, we actually really had to kind of reevaluate how we like to spend time together, how we like to bond together. And so it gave us an opportunity to kind of pause and ask ourselves, like, how do we want to relate to each other? And, you know, that year we actually did both sign up for a half marathon. And so we took our date nights and we moved them outside and we started going on Mm -hmm. runs in the evening. 
And it was amazing. such a cool way, like a beautiful way of us getting to know each other better and in a better, you know, more healthy way than our previous date nights. So I think it can like, sometimes there can be a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of um, fear mixed in. It can kind of change things up. But if you, I think you really lean in, I think you're able to, one, be a better partner to your partner, know yourself better, be more vulnerable too. Like I never talked about alcohol with anyone. I like the, the insecurities I was going through, all this stuff in my head, nobody knew about that. And which means he didn't know that about me either, right? And so not only did that open the doors to us getting closer, but all the things that I hadn't talked about, my deeper fears, my deeper passions, you know, it all became more, uh, I was more open and vulnerable with him. So we got so much closer, really bonded, and I was able to be present to him, you know? It wasn't like, where's my next drink? It was like, I just want to look in my husband's eyes tonight, you know? So we ended up getting closer, which I think can happen, but oftentimes too, people just fear change. You know, when, when someone in the relationship is changing, the other partner can fear, like, is she going to leave me? Is she going to outgrow me? Are we not going to have anything in common? And so that's why it can feel a little weird and rough at first, you know? But as, as long as you remind them the, and, and give them that attention to bond with them and to have spend quality time together that like you're not leaving them behind, you know, you, maybe you can find new ways of bonding together. And if really like nothing works, they're not, you know, seeing it and they, they don't like this new you, does that mean the only thing you guys had in common was drinking, you know, and right. that's probably then just a sign that they weren't the right person for you. And that could be true with friendships too. But most of the time I find that friendships deepen because we do have so much more in common with our friends than just drinking. And we have to give them that benefit of the doubt. And it could feel weird at first, but, you know, invite your friend out for a coffee or a hike instead of the normal happy hour. And you guys might deepen your relationship in ways that you didn't even expect, you know? And if people don't get it or don't like buy into it or don't like it and don't really want to hang out with you anymore, like what kind of friend is that really, right? And it sounds harsh, but I mean, you know, you might be able to make space for who you really want in your life too and attract those kind of growth-seeking people. You know, it's, it's funny, but beside of what I do, obviously I'm an alcohol-free life coach, but I am in my normal life, in my professional life, like an entrepreneur, a coach, and so I really find myself in all these different spheres that have nothing to do with whether people drink or not. I attract non-drinkers everywhere I go. It's just like my energy, you know, like That's they cool. just, people are curious about it or people are exploring it themselves in their lives. And like, I'm attracting these high vibe people who are going after their dreams, who are writing books, who are doing podcasts, who are living out their deeper passions. Like going out to a bar every Friday night isn't like the the only thing they're living for, you know what I mean? So you might even welcome in a lot of cool new friends, partners, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, my partner when... didn't do it with me at first. He did step <laughs> back and he has taken yeah. some breaks himself too to to close that out. <laughs> yeah, when you when I mean, like you said earlier, when you are aligned with your like I don't, true journey, I guess like all of these things will come into your life. Like we spoke about that on a different podcast episode. We talked about psychedelic medicine. Um, and it was kind of like a similar experience. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm actually well, explaining that right. I think we've had our own personal experiences with these things. And I think for Katie, the psychedelic medicine was something you really wanted to cover um, because it's been beneficial in your life and in our guest speaker's life. And I think for me, um, like 
I was in such a low place, like I mentioned at the beginning, and I ended up going off of alcohol for a while. I ended up eating a lot more healthy. I get, you know, I was getting better sleep. I started to acknowledge my um, diagnosis, and I decided that I wanted to move to LA. I wanted a new job, and I wanted to be around creative people and like-minded people. So it was going to be LA. I was going to get here. <laughs> I was going to get here at all costs, whether there was a pandemic and the border was closed to Canadians or not. So. I, and I did that. And I think I understand that like high vibration, like you mm -hmm. start attracting higher vibration people because you are giving out those. You're like in sync. Yeah. You're giving out those vibes. And so whatever um, crutch I think you're leaning on, whether it is alcohol or it's alcohol in combination with other things, I think you really do have to have that pause in your life. And I think for some of us or a lot of us, COVID gave us that pause to be able to reevaluate what was truly important. And um, yeah, just for me, it was it was totally a, a full clean slate on the health go, like everything down down to the bare bones and um, and then really reevaluating that it was like a goal to move countries and to get a new job and to be around different, um, more creative folks. So I, I align with that. But I also think, and another question I had was, Caroline, do you think it was like a age thing? Because I know that near 27, 28, I started to think something needed to change. Now I'm 31 and I couldn't go back to that lifestyle. I wonder, is there something about the lucky number 30 that makes people think something's got to give? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think like in many ways, a lot of people I've talked to, like our 20s are hard, right? Like we are thrown into the adult world. We don't know how to adult. No one ever taught us that. We're just trying to find our ways in this world and it can feel really isolating because a lot of the things that are really hard, we, we often don't talk about in our society. You know what I mean? And honestly, like the brain isn't even fully formed until you're 25. So you're not even like completely, you know, your real conscious adult self until much later in your life, which I think is just super interesting. So like it can be really hard, but I think when you start to lean in and, and you ask yourself, okay, what do I really value? What do I really want in my life? And, you know, for you, it was like, I really want to feel healthier. I want to be healthier. I really want to take care of myself in a better way. You know the feeling. You know that that's something that's important to you. And you start leaning into that. And whether it's like getting more spiritual or reading more or being more healthy, I think we start to carve out more space, I think, by the time we're nearing 30 for those things that are important to us. Um, and then from there, like, you just keep going. You just keep kind of peeling that onion back. And so some people find that they go like healthier and then more mindful and then more into their like personal growth. And then alcohol is like that one last thing, you know, the last incongruency. And that can often be like the last thing that changes that like really makes a really huge difference to like put the whole back together and have it really be really aligned. So yeah, I think that like our generation and people in, in your age, I'm a little older, um, are really kind of reevaluating at this time. It's just a really prime time. But also, you know, what happens too is some people just keep going with the rat race, right? And it's just like, just check the boxes, get the house, get the marriage, get the babies. And then sometimes it happens when you're 40, 45, or 50, when you're like almost in that midlife crisis time and you're like, you're coming up for air and you're like, oh, do I, do I enjoy any of this? And did I pick up an alcohol habit a long time ago to try to get me through the busyness of my life, you know? So it can often definitely come in different times. But I like to say this, Reevaluating the role of alcohol in your life is not embarrassing. It doesn't signal that you have a problem. It doesn't mean anything negative about you. I actually think that it's the most intuitive people that do it, the most bravest people, the people who are like ready to lean in and, and look within answers for themselves. And so that's why I think it's so cool to have younger people doing it because it's like the ones that are, are the ones who are like awakening. And it's not just around alcohol, it's around like everything, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I feel like I've heard this mentioned for other different like areas of life, but there's like a collective consciousness that's like resurfacing, like we're people are starting to want to be more in sync and less divided the way that we are now. Um, and I think that is a, a way that could like increase our collective consciousness. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think too that like, you know, as women ourselves, like, and we wake up every day feeling or positioning ourselves at least to wake up feeling more empowered, more clear, more intact with our creativity or intuition, like more empathetic too, because we feel everything instead of numbing it. I think literally we can change the world. And I think when we like lean in and have conversations like this, we are leaning into our vulnerabilities. We're leaning into our challenges and whichever way you then come out of it, you have this, uh, this wisdom within you, this knowledge that you've learned over whatever you've overcome, the challenges you've overcome. And you can then turn around and help the woman behind you or help the past version of you, you know, whatever you've gone through. And I think that we are having that kind of, you know, awakening within ourselves. And that really is, it's like a personal thing that has that like macro effect on the world. I mean, I have clients that will tell me like, I didn't notice before, but when I was a drinker, I, I was just more frantic. I was more frustrated. I was more rude. And now they notice like, even the way I talk to my neighbor or the barista or like these little interactions I have in my day, like I'm just a better person. I'm just a nicer, more empathetic person who's really present. And like, what a, what an imperceptible shift, like, right? Does that really make a difference? Well, what if it does? What if it then makes that neighbor or that barista be then that much nicer to other people? And it's just this like ripple effect of, of change, you know? And I think when you start to question things that are you know, other people's expectations, societal expectations, you just start changing things up in your life, you give other people permission to do the same. And so you ripple effect, like whatever you change and however you're standing up to, you know, a societal norm. I mean, honestly, any change is not normal. Like in our society, like deciding that you don't want to have this type of job, you know, versus something that's more aligned to you, like that's huge in our world. Moving, right? Moving away from your hometown or something, deciding to get healthier, deciding to, you know, take a break from alcohol. All these things are not quite normal in our world, but they, I think they give other people the bravery and the inspiration to then reevaluate for their, themselves. So it is, it's a huge ripple effect. And I think we are collectively awakening both like as a generation, but also this point of time. I think it's really cool. And when it comes to alcohol itself, like I literally predict in 10 years, we're going to have mocktail bars in every city. Like there's already alcohol-free bottle shops. There's one in LA and Silver mm -hmm. Lake. There's one in Orange County and Laguna Beach. There's some in like New York and like Houston and stuff. I think that's going to become really normal. You know, a lot of restaurants now have mocktail sections, like whole sections to it. I just think it's going to be uh, a really acceptable thing. Like if you could be vegan, if you could be paleo, if you could mm -hmm. be gluten-free, dairy-free, all the things, is it really so crazy to be alcohol-free in our society? It's like probably the one thing that makes the biggest difference. And yet, like at this point, you still get 21 questions with it, you know? And so yeah. I think we're, we're really going to see a change that comes there. And it's part of this bigger awakening that like you're alluding to. Yeah. Do you Do you find that women are more sober curious than men or do you think it's an equal divide? I think they are. I think they are. I don't want to make any generalizations or stereotypes, but I think women, one, are more introspective and they're really uh, have that bravery or that just ability to know it's nothing wrong with you to be able to go look within, you know, and I think, I think men are really grown up with this idea that that is soft or just not manly. And so like from that kind of just gender roles, like we, we have an ability to kind of go within deeper 
And I think when we live our lives outside of our values, it's really painful and we carry a lot more shame than men do. So like men, women are expected to be perfect in every single way, right? You have to have the career and you have to be a perfect mom and you have to make the dinner and you, ha you have to do everything. But then I think when we do live a life a lot like misaligned with our values, like let me just give you one example. A woman goes to a wedding and over drinks and like kind of embarrasses herself or just whatever she's drunk. The next day she wakes up and dies of shame, right? She's mm -hmm. just like, oh my God, did I really, did I really do that? A man could do the same thing and laugh it off the next day. Be like, ha, that oh, was fun. So I got right. really drunk, you know? I'm not saying That's every totally woman, every right. man, of course not. But there's that, there's that kind of norm in yeah, our society. Yeah, that dynamic. Where women feel a lot more of that shame. And so, like, those things combined, I think more women are sober curious than men. However, I do work with men and I have worked with some really cool introspective men. And what I've noticed is that if they're on a journey of uh, improving themselves or healing themselves in one way that can often open the door to other things. So some men like started it with like weight loss, right? Maybe they want to get healthier and they get really into like biohacking or all the things. And then it's like how alcohol is like the one big incongruency again, or maybe it's a personal uh, journey of healing or just like, you know, really getting to know yourself again in many different ways or a job change or a huge transformation. So I think that opens the door to just the questioning starts in other areas of your life and then alcohol gets questioned too. But I think honestly, when you look at it, the sober sphere is dominated by women and even the ones that are led by men, like One Year No Beer is a big one in um, the UK and they're like these two guys that do Spartan races and they're just really like, it's a pretty, like a, as a brand, it's it's pretty guyish, manlyish. Mm -hmm. They still have a, a huge majority of women. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. But um, then I think, like, if you are a guy listening to this and this is, like, piquing your interest and you're ready to, like, lean in, like, what a cool sign of wisdom. Totally. Totally. I agree with you. Um, okay. So what do these, um, like, alcohol replacements, alcohol-free wines, alcohol-free beers, like, what purpose do they serve? Um, do you feel like that they are beneficial for the person that is trying to sober up? Do you feel like it's for um, the, the person like kind of in that transition period, um, do people who, um, this is kind of like a, a long question, but, um, do people, um, who are sober like to enjoy those beverages as well? So like, what, what purpose do they serve? Oh, I love that question. And you know, what's so cool about it. Like this wasn't true six years ago, but today there are literally thousands of drinks on the market. In fact, this industry is calculated to reach $1.4 trillion, and it's going to explode so much that alcohol industry is actually investing in it. So wow. last year, 46% of Americans, or this year, 46% of Americans have bought in one of these non-alcoholic drinks. And I like to tell my clients and my community, find a drink you love. Find a drink you love, whether there's non-alcoholic beers, there's coffee cream stouts, there's blood orange IPAs, there's literally every style of like beer in a non-alcoholic version. There are non-alcoholic wines, there's non-alcoholic spirits, and there's also these new line of drinks that aren't trying to be alcohol. They taste completely different, and they're these new concoctions. They're just these really creative things. They have adaptogens in them. They have nootropics in them. They're like health-forward functional beverages, right? And then just go to your local like uh, health food store, and you'll find like a whole breadth of beverages that aren't even maybe nightlife beverages, but they're the kombuchas, the health tonics, the smoothies, the rebel drinks. There's so many things out there. Personally, like I'm a huge fan of just Spindrift. Spindrift is just mm, like yeah. sparkling water mixed with a little bit of fruit puree. And it has like just a little bit of sweetness more than like sparkling water, but not very much. So like, obviously that's not even a non-alcoholic drink, right? But I love that stuff because I truly believe you should find a drink you love because if you deprive yourself, 
If you feel like you're missing out and someone else has this special beverage, it will ultimately lead to an unsustainable lifestyle. And like, okay, think of it this way. I'm not addicted to canapes, okay, right? I'm not. But if I went to a party, this nice cocktail party, and the waiter's going around and they're putting out these like nice little, you know, like bruschettas and whatever, and everyone gets one, and I don't get one, like they run out before they get to me, I'm going to be pretty like, oh, you know, I didn't get one. I'm not addicted to canapes. That doesn't mean that. But when other people are having something special or a treat, we want to feel pampered too. And so the yeah, alcohol-free FOMO. beverages totally. really help you feel that way. And the thing is, it, it then means that you don't have to change the habit. There's nothing wrong with socializing or relaxing or decompressing with a drink. In fact, it could be still be a really beautiful ritual for you after a long day, nice cup of tea or one of these drinks. It just doesn't have to have ethanol in it. That's it, right? Like there's so many other yeah. drinks. And the placebo effect still works. Like the placebo effects to make you feel I am being treated, I'm being pampered is really cool. They did this one study where they put like brain nodes on people who were sitting down at a restaurant and they're measuring their brain waves. And these people ordered a drink but didn't get it yet, right? So they put a drink in order with the waiter. All of a sudden, the brain waves were able to show that they all relaxed. Wow. So they didn't get the drink yet. They just ordered the drink, right? So it's almost like the anticipation is what really we think relaxes us. And so it kind of puts this whole like thing on a pedestal. Is it really the alcohol that we want? Or is it just a permission we're giving ourselves to relax or unwind or decompress or bond with people? And so like the alcohol-free drinks totally do that. And, you know, I'm plant-based myself too. And I love that now there's places all around and different restaurants and things that have more options other than just a salad to eat, you know? Like I love that that's changing and making it more sustainable to have other options that, you know, just because you have a vegetarian or veggie burger doesn't mean you're not like a true plant-based person, right? You could you could still have that from time to time and something. So I think they're really good. And whether it is a non-alcoholic beer or literally just coconut water, find something you love to drink. That's great. Um, what is your go- go-to cocktail or mocktail? Good question. So I like Spindrift, as I said, and sometimes kombucha can just be super easy. But when I'm feeling inventive in the kitchen, I love to make mocktails out of tea. So basically Ooh. you take like almost any, almost any cocktail and instead of putting that spirit in, you replace it with a tea that would really go well with it. So for one example, anything that's like tiki-based or something made with rum, I will use like a spiced tea. So like a spiced chai or like a Bengal. And so you make the tea, you cool it, you steep it. And the tea has all these really rich tannins in it. And it has this bitter notes. It's a really complex drink. And that's the thing that's really cool about these alcohol-free drinks out there is like nobody wants a soda or an apple juice, right? When they're trying to not drink or a tap water. We like these complex nuanced tastes as adults. We like the bitter, the sour, you know? So a tea can often do that for you. So I'll mix like the spiced tea with the other tiki, like cream of coconut, some pineapple juice, shake it up, you know? And it's this gorgeous, gorgeous mocktail that you can make. And I do have uh, recipes in um, every week of my book, Euphoric to Jackal and Gain a Happier and More Confident You. And if you order at euphoricbook.com, you'll also get a free ebook of all my mocktail recipes too. So you'll find like some easy things to do with that. That's so exciting. Yeah. And it can be super fun. You can like, I make more drinks now than I ever did before. I used to just open bottle of wine before, you know? Now I can get really creative. (laughs) I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Sorry, I'm kind of going through my questions. Um. Tell us about your experience writing the book. Um, so you're 
you're throwing out all of these incredible statistics and you have clearly done so much research. So um, yeah, tell us your experience of kind of going through all of that and, and writing this book. So I have to rewind a little bit back to when I was six years old because that's when I first recognized I wanted to write a book. I loved reading. I got really into literature when I was in uh, high school and college. I just, I really knew I always wanted to be an author. And that was this really big dream of mine. And I used to write a lot. I used to journal a lot. I used to write little short stories and poems. Like I was just a really voracious writer when I was a kid. And when I went to college and I started drinking, that's when my writing dried up. Like literally in my Mm. my mid-20s, I just stopped writing. And that really bothered me, you know, because I knew how much expression I was able to give when I was writing. And I knew how I had this a big goal in my life to write a book. And so I would make these New Year's resolutions. And so I would make them every year. This is the year I start writing, you know. You start writing 30 minutes even just a week or something. Every single year, I had nothing more than a paragraph ever written seriously. And so there was a part of me by the time I was 30, I'd totally given up. I was just like, it's not going to happen for you. You know, like you just don't like to do hard things. You don't write. It's just not in the cards for you, Caroline. I just give up on that dream. And when I went alcohol-free, I started writing voraciously again. I started really journaling a lot first just to kind of dissect and digest my new emotions and experiences and epiphanies. And I literally one day got this download from the universe that literally told me the name of the book, Euphoric, and then also the, the chapters. And most of those original chapters are still in here. And I just got it. And I was like, oh my God, I can do this. And I started waking up literally like 15 minutes before I had to and just writing for 15 minutes just like in a little crappy journal like this you know and by the time I like had proven to myself that I could build like a body of work that's when I started really to look out for how to write a book proposal how to get a book agent how to get a book deal and one baby step after the next all these things kind of aligned for me and now it is literally four years later I started this in 2018 it's coming out in 2022 Four years later, it's all happening. It's all like, it's it's like literally my biggest dream come true. And it literally took a lot of these baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. And I think it's really common and easy for us to be like, if something doesn't happen fast enough, we don't even want to do it. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, like this is going to be a huge long process. Like, I don't know if I want to start that. But the thing that I have to remind myself and my clients is like, the time's going to pass by either way. Like in four years from now, we can be certain of one thing, four years will have passed, no matter what the time is going to pass by. So does it really going to hurt you if you like it takes four or five years to launch a business or write a book and leave your day job? Like the time will pass by either way, you know, so you might as well be slowly working on your passion, even if it takes a long time to do. So the book writing process was like, honestly, a really healing journey for me to be able to like, rewrite that limiting story in my head that I could never be an author. And I got one of the best book deals from one of the top publishing houses in the like in the world. And I just can't believe like this all it almost feels divine. It almost feels like did I really do this or was this something that was just meant to happen? And so it's just so cool when you lean in, when you really believe that the universe is guiding you towards these things. Beautiful things can happen. And you know like I'm not a celebrity yet by any means and yet like all of this kind of aligned and happened and this book is going to be out in bookstores and it's already getting picked up by incredible media outlets so whatever dream you have on your heart you know even if it's something that you think will take a long time I think that this example is just a perfect illustration that you were meant to go after it you wouldn't even desire it if it wasn't your destiny in the first place that's preach so beautiful (laughs) (laughs) and congratulations I mean it's just it sounds like it's been so successful for you and I'm so excited to see how it goes when it's released and yeah like we said we're we're on board we're getting the book we're reading (laughs) um 
And I just wanted to know for, for your readers out there, um, can they expect like a step-by-step guide? Is this something that they're going to be able to do by reading the book or should they also try to connect with you, reach out? Would they, would you recommend them, um, becoming clients? Like what's the best approach for a person who wants to have the best outcome? Absolutely. So yeah, I think the book is an incredible place to start and it will really, you know, sum up a lot of the benefits we talked about today, but really like outline them in just these juicy, beautiful ways that by the time you finish reading the first few parts, you're like, I want this. I want to try this. I really want to experience this. And then it will give you this eight week guide to really help you um, introspect and remove some of those like limiting beliefs so that you don't have attachments to alcohol at the end of it, right? You're really almost free from that and start discovering what your deeper dreams are. Um, but from there, if you really want like a deep dive, if you really want to have like a day by day, you know, flow and really have the full support, I highly recommend my course Become Euphoric, which really gives you just this like primer. Like if you just love the the guidance and you love being like accountable every day and, and really being motivated to do, you know, homework and different like more in-depth stuff, Become Euphoric will really help you guide there. And then I usually work with women who have already started their break from alcohol and are now kind of asking themselves, what's next for me, you know, and, and allowing that beautiful questioning to either discover what that is, to play out some of their passions and their, and their, uh, like latent dreams and really allow themselves to articulate that. I mean, think of how bold it is in our society to even articulate something big that you want. We often don't, we really don't. And it can feel really scary to do so. And almost like, who the hell do I think I am? You know what I mean? To be able to say this out loud. So just getting people to that point, right, is so beautiful. But then once we articulate it together, we then work on it, we execute it, we implement it. So that's also where my passion lies as well, because honestly, this whole movement, this whole thing is literally, it does nothing to do with whether or not you drink. I could care less with whether or not people drink. It's about what opens up for you when you let go of that thing that doesn't serve you. And that's what I'm so excited about. You know, that's where I think that I'm just on fire to see. So it's this huge transformation that happens. And alcohol is just like the catalyst, you know, it's just like the beginning thing where you get to know yourself, you feel your feelings, you get to know your dreams, you articulate them, and then you have the confidence and the audacity to go after them. Um, and if anyone's interested in all of what I just said, like whether it's working with me or, you know, taking my course or you know, anything like that, you can find me at euphoricaf.com. And if you want to get the book, that's at euphoricbook.com. Yes. And uh, as always, we'll leave all of these details in the show notes. Um, anything that Carolina has mentioned, um, we're going to try and be really thorough and just link all of that, those details below. Awesome. Thank um, you. This has been a wonderful, wonderful interview. Um, I have had chills this entire time. I still have chills. Um, <laughs> yes. I think, uh, I mean, I don't want to speak for Ashley, but I think you've opened something up in both of us. Um, a lot, a lot more curiosity. Um, yeah, just uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was really beautiful. Yeah, you definitely uh, touched on what I was going for in that COVID year. And I think I have to really lean into that a little more than I was. So thank you. So inspirational. And it's so good to meet you and talk to you. Um, before oh, we you. <laughs> good. before we wrap, do you want to um, leave the audience with any final thoughts or um, anything that you want to leave them with? Absolutely. You know, so this is a weird topic and it, it kind of like really begets you to ask deeper questions of yourself and, and it's kind of functions as this unconscious habit in our society or as an outdated relationship, something we form when we're 18 and then we just don't look at ever again very deeply. And so if it did pique your interest, like it doesn't mean anything, it doesn't mean you have to quit forever, it doesn't mean all those scary things. 
But I think if it piqued your interest, there's a sign that there's something deeper here for you and there's something beautiful here for you, you know? And so like the next step might be just to get the book or the next step might be to play around with dry January. You know, you decide what that is for you. But I think if you lean in, you'll find so many beautiful gifts on the other side. You will never, ever, ever regret asking yourself these deeper questions just to get to know yourself better, if anything. Um, and so I'm just really proud of you to listen to this conversation. It's not easy. It's not like glamorous. It's not sexy, right? It's like the things that we don't talk about in our society. And yet that there's so much power within it. There's so much transformation that can happen when you look into it. So thank you for listening. I think you're amazing. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Thank you, Carolina. Sending you a million hugs to San Diego. Yes. So good to, to have you on. Um, so where can people find you on socials? Yeah, so I'm mostly on Instagram. You can find me at euphoric.af. And usually that's across the board on other places like Facebook, YouTube's, all the stuff. But Perfect. Perfect. Okay, well, we'll hope, hopefully send lots of people your way and um, wishing you all the best. Oh, thank you too. So nice to meet you. Great. Bye, Carolina. Thank you. Okay. Bye.